Hello, and welcome to the fourth roundtable of Duelist Community. I will be playing the part of Andrew today. And for convenience sake, I will continue to identify as Ray, just because somebody needs to call me something in order to have this conversation. Uh, and today we are joined by Tyson, who has been a supporter and friend of the show since we began, uh, as well as Karen, who is the co-host of the From Believing to Being podcast. So before we get started, I just wanted to let everybody know this is an informal conversation, as always. Uh, if you have something to say, if an insight pops up, feel free to interrupt Andrew or I, otherwise we're just going to keep rambling. The conversation is just going to go around from topic to topic. There is no intended purpose whatsoever. It's just seeing where our collective awareness leads us. Uh, it typically goes for about an hour to an hour and a half. So again, feel free to speak up if, if anything comes to mind and you want to redirect the conversation. We have no intention whatsoever except to just be here with you. So thank you for being here with us. Uh, Tyson, before we get started, I'd love for you to tell everybody a little bit about your own journey, um, what led you to this conversation, what led you to dualistic unity. I also want to mention quickly to everybody listening that it was Tyson's suggestion that actually brought uh, Suzanne Chang to the show, I think for episode eight or nine of this season. So he has an avid interest in non-duality and the idea of consciousness and being free. So without any further ado, Tyson, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, definitely. So uh, basically my entire journey, it's funny enough, has been similar to Andrew's. Um, I went through, well, first I was a Christian, like my whole family, Christian, hardcore Christian. And I grew up in a Christian household and all these rules. And then I, during the, I will say the pandemic, and it was like my senior year of high school during this time. And then um, I was just seeing so many videos on like conspiracy theories and everything. And that's what kind of led me on my spirituality journey. And then through that journey, I was very identified with spirituality itself. So that journey in itself was literal hell for me. The idea of manifesting and law of attraction, it, it became dangerous for me because of the way I was identified with it. So I was attracting a lot of black. And through that, I went through a depression, like a really hard depression. And for like the my entire i'll say like the summer of 2020 2021 that's how long it really lasted it was it was terrible and i literally couldn't do anything i lost about 50 pounds it was yeah it was it was it was tough for me to a point where i um you know almost committed and through that i've discovered non-duality in a way like just recognized awareness and what is and through that i've noticed it kind of clicked in my head that i was choosing my thoughts in a way and i was choosing to listen to it because at, at a moment i was forcing myself to not like something and i and i realized i was like wait if i can force myself not to like something doesn't that mean I'm identifying with my thoughts and doesn't that lead to so many other things I've been identified with? So right now I'm just in the process of just shedding off me, this idea of me. And uh, yeah, and that's what led me today. I love it. I, I love the fact that um, despite having a history of Christianity as everybody here at this round table does, um, the insights that, that we're talking about really start to get honed and perfected and, and you gain some sensitivity to, the, to them by going through the trenches. 
it's not the conceptual stuff. It's not just, you know, reading books about love and light and, and, and all of that other stuff. It's actually just facing your life. It's facing the discomfort. It's recognizing where that discomfort is anchored. So I am very excited to have you on the show finally. I know we've talked to you uh, several times on our Patreon groups. I do encourage anybody who would like to hear more from Tyson to join us on our, our weekly Patreon groups because he often joins us there. I'm going to move on to Karen so we can get this conversation going. Uh, Karen, again, is the co-host of the From Believing to Being podcast, where they are deconstructing Christianity, mysticism, and the concept of consciousness. Um, the episodes are really insightful. The conversation goes back and forth, and there's always a lot to chew on. So I highly recommend everybody check that out. Uh, Karen, what brought you to the podcast? Specifically, I know that your own path brings insight and, of course, frees you, but the urge to share that insight publicly is something else entirely. And so I'm very curious about your own journey. Thank you for asking that question because I just had a new insight about that the other day. I think that throughout this whole journey, what I found is that I'm a little slow on the uptake. Um, I, so last summer, um, as you said, I'm, I'm a former evangelical and my deconstruction journey has a long history, but really came to a head and, fall of 2019. And so last summer I had kind of, I'd gone through a lot of the deconstruction and I had sort of hit upon this. I, I think I was reading the power of now by Eckhart Tolle and I really started getting more into the consciousness stuff. And I kept thinking to myself, I really just want to have a conversation about this stuff. I really wish that there was someone that I could talk to about this. And I had a spiritual director, but she was a little bit more sort of in like the Christian mysticism stuff. And then Dave and I happened to connect through a ex-evangelical Facebook group. And, you know, he and I were having little, little discussions through text, through messenger about some of the books that we were reading. And I don't know, after we had been messaging back and forth and like, you know, on this Facebook group for about four months, I had been over here being like, I wish I could just have a conversation with someone. And someone that I followed on Instagram or something was doing a, um, a challenge, like, do you want to have a podcast? And I actually unfollowed the person. Cause I was like, Oh my God, no, I don't want to do a podcast. Like, no, that's not even anywhere on my radar. <laughs> so I unfollowed them. Cause I didn't want to have, I didn't want to be slammed with all the, like with all the podcast messaging that was going to be going back and forth on this challenge. So I'm not kidding. A week later, Dave messages me and he says, so what do you think about doing a podcast? And it took me a couple of days and I thought, oh, wait a minute. I've been over here saying, I just want to have a conversation about this. And now he's asking me, like, do you want to have a regular conversation about this stuff and just do it on a podcast so that people like me who were looking for a conversation could actually tune in to our podcast and feel like they were having, like they were part of a conversation. And so I was like, Oh, I see what's happening now. Yes. I guess I do want to do a podcast. So let's do this. And so we started our podcast actually not. Oh, and I should, I should add, we've never met. We're like you and Andrew, like we have, he's Dave is in Chicago and, um, I am in New Mexico. And so we've never met and we just online. And so, yeah, so we started recording in like, I think November of last year and 
we're a handful of episodes in and it's been great. That is, that is really cool. And I love the part about, you know, having conversation initially, you know, being hesitant to be on a podcast because I feel like there's so much weight that comes with that, especially these days, like everyone trying to start a podcast and, and talk about it and express themselves in different ways. And the recognition that you're just having a conversation that you happen to be recording is so similar to dualistic unity and our beginning of this Ray and I just connected through social media. We had an initial conversation that's on his YouTube channel and it was literally just a conversation. It wasn't anything crazy. And then we were like, why don't we just have more of these conversations and record it essentially. So I think, I think that, there's a lot to resonate with there for everyone because everyone, you know, in our society, there's always somewhere to get, and there's always a reason for doing what you're doing. But when people are able to see that you can do something for the sake of doing it and have a conversation just for the sake of having a conversation, there's a lot of freedom in that. And so, yeah, just resonate with that a lot for sure. in your story, especially in terms of the conversation itself is the point right? This discussion, because it's revolving around insight, because it's revolving around questioning our, our assumptions and, and the ideas that we tend to cling to, is a transformative event. There's nothing else required. It's not like we're saying, okay, now that we've had this talk, sign up here and we'll see you on Sunday. Like we're not doing any of that because you've already changed. Mission accomplished. I'm going to move on with my day, right? And that's the nice thing about this conversation and, and what I enjoy about your podcast and what I enjoy about the way that it's brought across is that it is a discussion. It's not, we're teaching you from on high. No. <laughs> you know, it's that we're going through it too. We're yes. learning this stuff as we go. We're questioning ourselves. It's, it's uncomfortable, but we're excited about the discomfort because at least it's not prison. And, and so that, that's the enthusiasm that comes across in these conversations. And it's, it's very much the reason that, that we do this. I know for me, Andrew and I, when, when we did have our first discussion, it was because I had spent so very long, over 10 years, just kind of keeping to myself, working on my own insights and applying all this stuff. And then I got onto TikTok. And that's fun because you can make little, little videos here and there, but you can't really get into the nitty gritty. And right. then talking to Andrew, we went for an, about an hour or more of the first conversation we had. And it was like, okay, we could do that for easily 100 to 200 more times and still barely make a dent in all of the concept and awareness and everything that goes into this conversation. Like we could just keep doing this forever, which is oddly enough, what we do as an eternal awareness, um, just having this conversation forever here and there. Sometimes we ignore it and we go into the dark ages, but other times we, we come back to the surface and we start waking up again. So I just wanted to express that more than anything, I think the reason I enjoy these roundtables, the reason that we invited you to be a guest and Tyson, of course, um, is the authenticity behind it because I would rather talk to somebody who is admittedly just going through the dirt and, and, and the crap of this journey, who's testing themselves and feeling uncomfortable than for somebody who's sitting on high, who doesn't want anybody to ask any questions that's going to rattle them, is always sitting in a very insulated, insulated environment, making sure they know what's going to happen and what kind of person is going to talk to them. Right? It's always the people who are willing to throw themselves in the mix, because I find that that's where our awareness and our intelligence really, our intelligence really comes forward. Um, Tyson, I do have a question, a quick question for you, because, of course, you're, you're 19, you're, you're out of high school in the last couple of years, and you have a whole world of relationships ahead of you. How do you find coming to terms with the fact that you are not what you think you are? 
affects your relationships, affects your ability to talk to others? And do you find that you're talking about the insights that you're having or that you're still keeping them fairly close to the chest? Mm, that's, a, that's a very good question because, of course, uh, at my age, I have a bunch of well, my friends that are also around my age. And you know how teenagers mostly think and how they react to certain things. So it's very interesting to really be in these friend groups and I guess recognizing myself as this awareness in a way that I look at someone that's high up there in age and they'll look at me as, you know, lower than them and that they quote unquote know more in a sense because of their age. So it's kind of, I kind of like, I'll say it's, it's difficult to um, talk about awareness itself in front of everyone because like if I talk about it to my friends, they won't really listen in a way. It's more instant gratification for them, you know? And, oh, I gotta get this and I gotta get that. I see that, you know, we grew up in, a, I grew up, my generation grew up in the age of social media. So uh, what we see, you know, we have people that my age have mansions, you know, and everyone wants to be there. Everybody wants to move out at their family's house at like the age of 20, you know, and um, it's definitely interesting to talk to everyone because I will say it's hard in a way to communicate this message is really difficult, but it's also easy because I'm able to chat with everyone around the world through my phone, that's, you know, a little computer, you know? And I've seen for myself that it's given me more insights in a way. And as soon as I had this recognition, I've been getting insights like, almost, like every day, you know, like an insight every day, whether it's through my, my phone, looking at someone miles away from me, another me, you know, miles away from me or someone in person. And I, I think that's the actual beauty of social media is the, it's unity involved into it, but it's just not recognized yet. Nicely said, nicely said. And I often find that social media or rather the, the uh, embodiment or the, the manifestation of social media is almost akin to telepathy. If you were to think of the world as one giant uh, consciousness or one giant awareness, right? It's we're literally being able to connect thoughts that up until recently weren't able to connect. And they're connecting so fast and they're, com they're comparing themselves and they're, they're, they're adapting according to that interaction with other thoughts. And so we're, we're changing at such a high rate of change or at, high, at such a high pace. It's very, um, it's interesting to see where we're going to end up. Andrew, what are your thoughts on that in general? Because I know you have also been expressing this to people more and more. And our, our conversation on Discord today is a good example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of... Um... I would say freedom and uh, lightness in the recognition or, you know, when you don't have as much identity coming along with you that you're, you know, constantly needing to defend. And Tyson, I think when you bring up, you know, whether it's someone who's older than you, who is looking down on you because they think they know more or all of your friends who are around your age, you know, getting caught up in the instant gratification and getting all these things. I kind of see that as the same within the same realm. And it's, it's within, you know, the, the person who's older than you is, you know, they know more about the game or, or the illusion of this experience. And, you know, the kids closer to your age are starting their journey 
into the illusion of this experience. And so I don't see them as too dissimilar. And it's like a different conversation that is a prison. It's like, it's like knowing more about prison or getting excited. You know, the younger ones are getting excited to go to prison because it's been painted as not being prison. So it's, it's always interesting to talk to people about this stuff, knowing, you know, or being able to see with just a little bit more clarity, what they're getting into or what they're defending or any of those things. And it's, it's fun when you don't, you know, cling to the idea of yourself and you allow that to, to go, there's nothing to defend anymore. So if someone wants to call you a name or judge you, you know, that it has nothing to do with you. So you'll always be okay. And in that recognition, there's a lot of, a lot of freedom, but it doesn't come without some turbulence as well, which I'm sure we'll get into here too. Yeah. yeah. And now that you bring that up, uh, actually, when I had the one-on-one session with Ray and I, I told him the story about how, uh, when I was going to work and, uh, uh, when I was going to work, a security guard got upset at me because I placed something in a wrong spot. Right. And it was like so many people around me and I just laughed. Like I smiled and laughed and I, <laughs> and I know a lot of people thought I was crazy, but it's just like the recognition that they are talking to themselves. You know, like you are always talking to yourself, you know, like when you judge someone, you, you, you judge yourself. So even when I get in my own head or my, my own ego per se, I tend to just laugh. I'm like, oh, I'm doing it again. You know, <laughs> I'm doing it again. And I just, I just laugh. I, I, I find it funny because I, I really think it's the greatest joke of all time. <laughs> when you get it. When you get it. Yeah. I have a question quickly for Karen in regards to, uh, Karen, you mentioned that you were a parent. I'm also a parent. I have a 14-year-old daughter. And I know when I was Tyson's age, as I was coming, well, I was actually, I started waking up after Tyson. So when I was a little older than Tyson, I started coming to this and I started feeling very much the same way that older people didn't take me so seriously. And I really cared about that at the time. And I cared about the fact that I wasn't given any credibility because of my age, regardless of the fact that these insights are, are universal and have nothing to do whatsoever with, with age, there is a certain degree of maturity that goes with them. And it took me a long time to understand that we go through stages of development because I didn't really remember much of my childhood. And I certainly didn't want to recognize how often in my childhood I was totally selfish. Um, but being a parent really made me aware of the fact that, that selfishness is part of our development. Like we can't really avoid it because it's how we learn to survive, but it's something that we can let go of as we, as we continue to grow. But not everybody does, which is why you get that expression that age brings wisdom and that's not necessarily the case. So I'm wondering uh, exactly how much has your own development been influenced by observing your kids, observing other forms of you as they start over on this journey and as they develop and, and grow into new strategies and, and perspectives? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I want to just touch real fast on what Tyson said, you know, so I am, I just turned 43, I think. And, you know, my, my deconstruction and introduction to all of this happened only in 2019. And one of the things why I think that this, these conversations and these ideas are, can feel somewhat threatening to older people is because you really go through a, a grief 
a confusion, this, because you, once you get it, you look, you can look back over your life and there can be like, there can be this sense that you have to grieve the fact that you spent so much time pursuing what wasn't real, you know, pursuing the illusion and people don't want to have to deal with that, right? People don't want to face that. And so I think that, I mean, I, I, people have a lot of things to say about these kind of ideas anyway, but definitely one of the things that I have experienced myself and that I can see for others is that you have to admit that, you know, you sort of like wasted half your life, even though eventually you realize that's not the truth of it. You can have that sense and you have to overcome that. But to your question, my, so we homeschool and we were not homeschooling for religious purposes, really you guys do. Um, But I kind of blame our homeschooling journey on leading to my awakening or coming to this. Like we were reading mythology and a lot of the things that we were reading in mythology was sort of cutting into my Christian beliefs and sort of chipping away. Like already I had some doubts, but kind of like going even further. And then just some of the things that, that we were reading with my kids and my own questioning of am I, am I telling them the truth was really like getting to me, but to your, to your question, you know, raising them, you see how you just naturally want to put labels on yourself. You naturally want to identify with things. My kids have blankets and even my nine-year-old is still like super attached to his blanket and has even started using that terminology, which I don't remember talking about that a lot, but he's even like, I am so attached to this. I don't want this to change. I'm really attached to this. And you just see them, you know, they get something and they continue piling it, piling it on. And we've started talking a little bit about philosophy. So I'm trying to give my kids some better language to use and some different things to talk about, like, you know, what is happiness and things like that. But you can see that just their their mental development, there really is that inherent desire to build up the ego. And I mean, I've heard it it, from different places. Like Richard Ward has said some things before that, and I'm curious what you guys think about this, actually. There's the idea out there that in order to transcend, you have to have a healthy ego, right? Before you can transcend. And so I think some people would even say, that, you know, Tyson, even like what you're experiencing might not even be like a full awakening or because you haven't lived long enough in order to develop, like fully develop your ego. And so, you know, maybe 20 years from now, you'll go through like another, you know, another stage of awakening or something like that. And I don't necessarily know that I agree with that, but I can definitely see in my kids just the need to label, the desire to label, the one, like the desire to be known as something like I'm, I'm the smart one. I'm the sporty one. I'm the funny one, you know? And that once you, you have to be really careful, I think as a parent to not put your kids in those boxes. And I'm so thankful that I have come to this place in my journey because I'm much more aware of that. Whereas before when I was strictly in the Christian camp, I was really eager to label my kids as believers and really 
eager to put them into a box. And now I'm much more able to like hands off and to look at them as like little consciousness consciousnesses <laughs> running around trying to figure out the world. And so just to have that more objective distance from them in a way, like they're, they're not me, my ego me, but they are that, you know, representatives of that greater consciousness has definitely been significant, like, a, like just a huge leap in my understanding of how to parent. Yeah, that's fantastic. I've gone, I, I go through the same thing and it's just, there's so much to our development as people. And it's really interesting because I know in my own spiritual journey, there was the concept of the ego, which at first was, you know, this thing that was working against me and my freedom. And then later on it was, oh, actually it's just what I think I am. <laughs> okay. And then, oh, I can change what I think I am. So it's actually not any of the things I think I am so much as the habit of thinking I am something. And, and where did that come from? And then as I raised my daughter, I started re recognizing, oh, well, that's really the only way we can start to interact with the world is to start dealing in concepts and duality and, and understanding the perception of division. But with that comes fear and anxiety and the unknown and all that other stuff. And so really, they're just trying to build this bulwark or this defense against the uncertainty that is life because yeah. they have no physical ability to defend themselves from that uncertainty. And, and so as we get older, then it, it's supposed to get to a point. And we talked about this in Discover Transcendence, which was a video that I made a couple of years back about uh, Jane Lovinger's. Uh, stages of ego development, that there is actually a point in our ego development, I think it's like stage four or five, where we're supposed to start questioning that, that self-concept, that identity. And that's the stage where we actually become adults. And Lovinger even stated, most people don't do this until their late 20s, if then. Mm -hmm. But most of our culture revolves around stage four below, revolves around that dichotomy between you and me and, and how do I measure my value and, and, and certainty and all of that. So, yeah, that, that's really interesting. Uh, my, my own daughter is 14, and so she's going into the teenage years now. And so all of the lessons that I thought I learned from her leading up to now are starting to change, of course, uh, and I have to adapt. But it, it's interesting that you're going through a lot of the same journey. And, and I want to comment quickly, and I'm going to pass this to Andrew because I want to get his 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 thoughts on this healthy ego that you brought up but it's interesting because you were saying that they're not me they're not my ego me and and that's true but technically neither are you right and so one thing that i've always found very helpful is to recognize and, and andrew and i have talked about this numerous times that i am not what i think i am but i'm always what i am and the true and that is true for our children and everybody else as well we all identify as me our idea of that is different but it's all the same me underneath it. So Andrew, I'm very curious about your, your thoughts on the healthy ego needed to transcend. Yeah, I, I, that's, I wanted to comment on that as well. And I was thinking of it kind of like, and yeah, I know Karen, you don't like believe with that process or you weren't sure about that, but I think of it more so like the, the ego development is a process like building an idea of yourself is always a process. It's not this just flip of the switch, like, Oh, I'm this thing. It's like, it's like, it takes time and it builds and builds and gets more and more concrete as we go. But I think the process of, of recognizing that you're not that can be flip of the switch. And it, it often is for many people. And I don't think that because it's essentially the recognition that right now, is all there ever is and all you ever are. It's, it's a moment to moment recognition. So there isn't an amount of time that is necessary to 
recognize that you are not what you think you are initially. I think there can be some carryover and sort of patterns because it took so long to build that identity that once you recognize that, you know, it still comes up and it still kind of keeps like fighting for, for survival in a way through, because it's, it's such a strong illusion. The illusion of duality is so strong that it basically has all of, you know, at least all of humanity convinced that it's not an illusion. So in the recognition, I think it can be a moment to moment or it is a moment to moment thing. And that's the other part is that it isn't just one moment. And then the rest of your life is completely changed because sometimes people think of that and they think of like an ego death and they're like, I had an ego death. And it's like, you know, we've talked about this bunch, but the ego is just your ticket to experience. It is your ability to identify as I, or to utilize, you know, Andrew, it's, it's convenient. It's way more convenient to be able to use my name to describe myself or use someone else's name to get their attention. But it's just the recognition that that isn't what you are. And in that it's a moment to moment thing. Like, you know, we all forget from time to time, we get lost in the illusion, but as soon as we recognize it, it's like, that's, the important part. It's not that we have to recognize it every single moment. It's like this experience is happening every single moment. And the experience is an illusion of duality. So to think that you always have to recognize that and never, ever get caught in the illusion. I don't know, maybe it's impossible. Maybe it's not impossible, but I think it's pretty close to impossible and and pretty difficult as, as we tend to gravitate to identity and, and the necessity of that for communication purposes and for convenience sake. But um, yeah, so that's, that's just my take on it. I had a thought on that and I wanted to get Tyson's answer on this as well, because Tyson, you and I have similar histories in terms of, I went through a very long period of depression. Um, I contemplated suicide. I attempted suicide. I did all of that, that fun stuff. And it was largely because of my ego because of my commitment to the idea of myself being the truth no matter how much i tried to boost it up no matter how many times i tried to fix it or change it it was still the same dead weight that was dragging down all of my energy and my motivation and and my i guess you could say uh my conviction that i could change was being dragged down by the identity that i was trying to use as motivation to change and and so what andrew was just saying and the idea of healthy ego made me think that perhaps a healthy ego is the ego that we feel comfortable questioning. A healthy ego is the one that we are not afraid to let go of. And I'm just wondering, considering your own changes in your life over the last year, if that's what you have found, it's not that you necessarily don't have an ego so much as that you don't feel threatened by questioning it or or, uh, wondering about its validity. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, For me, I would say that just firstly recognizing that the ego is an illusion in itself has helped me and also it's it's tough to look around because at certain points I don't know what I'm identified with most of the time you know like it'll be deep in there and I'm just like oh I didn't realize I was identified with identified with that It, it just you know spurs up randomly so I tend to question everything, even the things I enjoy, 
in a way. Like if I'm feeling a moment of excitement or love, unconditional love, and if you were considered that like the healthy ego, I would question that also. So for me, questioning it hasn't been a problem because I've been, you know, I've been through hell, you know, so questioning everything hasn't been an issue for me, whether it's quote unquote good or bad. And I also have a question. I also have a question for you, for you guys uh, talking about the healthy ego and everything. Do you think building up this illusion of the ego throughout age, like as you age up, do you, do you think that it's harder for a person that's older to let go of it than for, let's say, someone my age? Because I, I don't know if I'm like, you know, lucky or not that I recognize it now. Karen, I really want to get your take on that. <laughs> I mean, like I said earlier, I, I definitely think that it is because at this point in, in life, and I think you see this a lot in like the, the Christian deconstruction um, community of the older people. At this point in your life, there's a lot at stake. There's marriages, you know, there's kids, there's long-term careers. There are several people that once the once they awaken, including myself, once they awaken, you're not interested in what you were doing before, or maybe even you have to completely pivot. I have a good friend who he was a pastor in a, you know, in a, in a reasonably large church. And that was his primary income for his family. And he got to a point where he just is like, I, I can't keep preaching this this anymore. But then what, <laughs> you know, and you have to kind of put your trust in the universe and completely pivot. And then that comes with the baggage of maybe you start to feel like all the people that you had led astray or all of the, you know, all of the things in your life that you've done and just having to deal with that baggage. For some people, I think maybe it's easier to let it go, but there are a lot of people out there who for a while, at least continue to feel really guilty and really even angry at themselves, like there's a part of that too, that you spent so much of your life doing things that now you can look back and think like, why did I do that? I could have met so many other people. I could have, I could have embraced so many other things in my life had I not been so committed to this label as a Christian or, you know, whatever. And that's, that's my background. So that's what I, that's what I come from. Um, and I even think too, of the, I, I can't say it was necessarily tangible harm that I perpetrated, but my attitude, I mean, my, my beliefs towards the LGBTQ community, my beliefs, you know, in so many other ways, like, I can't believe that I allowed those things to be in my brain for so long. Like, I can't believe that I bought into some of these teachings, you know, the way that the way that women were treated. I mean, just all of these different things at this point in my life, I look back and there's, you know, 30 years where I was pursuing this Christian identity and you have to work through that baggage. And I know that you know, your age, like clearly you guys have crap that you have to deal with. I'm sure. I mean, everybody does. Right. But you're also on the cusp of starting your career, starting your families, that kind of thing. And to go into relationships with this knowledge. Oh my gosh. Like 
what a gift, what a gift to go into your profession. What a gift. I mean, it's, it really is, it really is a gift for you guys. And I just, I'm so thankful that both you and Andrew like are at this place in life um, and we'll be able to go ahead and hopefully not accumulate so much of the just emotional and mental and physical crap that people at my age and older have had to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm grateful too, because I recognize that I am at a place right now with like very few responsibilities. And so, yeah, when I was thinking about Tyson's question and like, you know, is it harder to get older and go through this? I was thinking about, you know, the residual impact that we have in our lives and, and the people around us and things around us and events around us that, you know, we deem are our responsibility or that we have some connection to. And so for me right now, like my impact on things outside of myself, it could be considered big in the sense of like, you know, social media following stuff, but in terms of people close to me, it, it, isn't as jarring. Like there aren't as many people who have very, very strong ideas of me and, and like a certain character, like a father figure, for example, something like that. And I think the reason that it's so much more difficult when you're older, along with, you know, all those impacts that you have is that with this recognition, there's a ton of options and a ton of like checkpoints where you can turn right around. And you get to a point and it starts to get a little uncomfortable and you're like, you turn around and the more impact you have on, you know, your immediate surroundings with a family and all of that, the easier it's going to be to validate your reasoning to turn around and to go back to what you have felt to be safe or secure. Whereas for me right now, like, you know, I'd have a tough couple tough conversations with my family. Like some of my friends are like, Andrew, what the fuck are you talking about? But, and, or like, you know, TikTok comments, but that is nothing compared to, you know, a spouse or, you know, having a congregation that is relying on you to preach a message that you no longer believe in. So that's a really good reason to not push this too far because it's way more comfortable to turn around. And so when you're younger, you don't have as many reasons to turn around besides your own discomfort. But when other people's discomfort comes into play, you, you start to be like, oh, well, you know, there, there's a reason to, to turn around here because I have to put my other people in front of myself. But at the end of the day, you always have to prioritize yourself and what you have to go through because that is, you know, the crux of your reality, the crux of your experience is you. So if you're, you can't do all of this, you can't live this life for other people, but as you get older, as you have more impacts, more responsibilities, it becomes a lot easier to turn around when those very, very uncomfortable bits start to come up. For sure. There's so many things. Uh, and like just saying, well, you've invested so much time and energy, right? If you, if you go further down this road, you have to start giving up all of that, 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 uh, energy that you put in, you have to start giving up all that security that you've invested in all that false certainty, right? And so you don't want to do that. <laughs> it feels really uncomfortable to do that. And I just wanted to mention quickly that uh, while Andrew and Tyson are at the beginning of their journeys, I'm 42. So I've been on this journey for a while and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm adept 
with a lighter and matches. Let's just say I burnt so many bridges on my path that I've become very good at dancing in the flames. Let's just say when I woke up, um, I had surrounded myself with people who I felt were validating the idea of myself that I needed to survive, to keep myself having any value at all. And what I realized was that in fact, they weren't doing that. That's not what they were doing at all. They were actually just validating the addiction I had to beating myself up. They all perceived me in a way that I was comfortable with because it agreed with the way I perceived myself. And so when I recognized that my perception of myself was the problem, I had to leave that group. I actually had to leave that entire familiar um, group of people. I had to leave everything I knew in terms of my relationships and my social circle just to be able to step out of that mentality that kept calling me back, right? And this is true of addiction, of course. I mean, a lot of people facing addiction, even when they're trying to quit that substance, can't do so until they leave the neighborhood or the friend circle that they had while they were addicted. Because all of those friends are validating that old perspective of you. They're validating that, that, uh, that strategy or that urge, right? That habit. And, and so, yeah, yeah, you have to walk away. Now, for me, I did so enthusiastically because as Tyson said, once you're out of hell, that's it. That is all, all the motivation you need in general. It's like, I'm out, woo. And then other people tend to get upset because you're so excited about something that they're still suffering through. And there's not too much you can do about that except show empathy. But also you have to keep in mind that it's like the expression that misery loves company. Somebody in hell will gladly drag you down in there with them without even recognizing that they're doing it because that's kind of part of being in hell, right? Is that you don't see what you're doing to other people. You don't have any sensitivity because you're not in reality. You're in this conceptual illusion that you've created in your mind, right? And so to get out of that conceptual illusion, yeah, it's super important to get away from people that are validating it. But on the other hand, outside of the habitual stuff, outside of the external stuff in terms of society and friendships and relationships and social circle, there's also the process of synaptic pruning, which is very difficult to go through. I mean, if you spent a lifetime believing certain things, thinking certain things, holding on to certain concepts, your synapses have formed to make those concepts easier to reach for. Your brain has changed to make those thoughts easier to have repetitively, just as a way of trying to keep you alive and more efficient. And so you're working against that. You are actually working against the physical structure of your brain while you are questioning the, pers the perspective of the world that you've always held on to. So that's uncomfortable too. And that's why it feels like as you're starting to make changes, you have this choir of voices behind you going, think this, do this. Ah. And it's not a choir of voices at all so much as just all the habitual self-talk that you used to do. You know, on that point, um, I actually have a question for you, um, for Andrew and Tyson. One of the things that I am trying to like allow, I guess, at this point is sort of like regaining trust in the, in the experience. No, don't know exactly how to put it, but I spent a lot of my life in fear. My dad was a sheriff's officer and being a girl, it was very much like everything out there is scary. Like everybody is out to get you. Everything out there is scary. And so these last couple of years, I've really been, I was working through that. And then a lot of the fear just sort of dissolved, but I'm, you know, I'm in this place of like, okay, I'm not asking what's next but I'm just trying to allow the peace to continue to be moment to moment. And I'm curious for you guys, like 
are you moving about in the world with a sense that you're safe, that there's peace, that you're okay? Like, has it changed? Has this recognition changed the way that you are moving, like moving forward and moving out into the world? Or are there parts of you that you're finding are still getting triggered or rising up and sort of challenging, you know, you're kind of having to resolve that conflict in yourself and let things go. Yeah, that's, I love that question. I really do. Because um, for me, I would say that people throughout life, throughout my entire life, um, I've been told and I've seen, and I've experienced it where people judge me based off the color of my skin. So for me, I, it's almost like psychic nature sometimes for me where I would think, oh, that person's judging me, you know, because of the way I look. So through this recognition, I'm kind of, kind of like shedding off and just shedding off more layers and more layers. But just this idea and judgment that I perceive that people have about my skin color and throughout how I was raised and what I've seen, it's kind of been, I would say, tough for me. And I've been resistant to question it also, you know? So I'm kind of, you know, in between everything. So it, so I would say for me that I do, with this recognition, I do. Like, and I notice and I recognize that, oh, it's my ego. And um, when if someone's judging me, like they're judging themselves, you know? and just recognizing all of this. But I know it's, it's still that, that, well, <laughs> that, that voice in the back of your head saying, oh, well, that person, I don't know, that person might be judging you just off your skin color, you know? So I would say it's kind of um, just me more recognizing and just setting off this ego and just telling you to just, just be quiet for me, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think my kind of recognitions are a little bit along the same lines. And I think it comes back to my ideas of certainty and my sense of self. And the more I recognize that I am not Andrew, I'm not so bothered when other people only see Andrew when they see me and judge Andrew, because that's not what I am. And relaxing into the uncertainty of what they think or what I am even and and the recognition that I'm not an idea. I'm not a story. I'm just the awareness of existence here and now. That's it. There isn't anything to cling to and there isn't anything to add to. So there's also nothing to lose. And going past that, something else that I sort of had to recognize that no one really tells you about this recognition is that while there is a whole lot less fear and fear of loss or fear fear of being diminished there isn't that side of it that's you know the positive egoic side like the the built up ego side of it where people pat you on the back and tell you great job and and you did such a good job and getting energy from that so there's two sides and without as much fear or worry about how people perceive this idea, there also isn't the reliance on the other side of energy for 
the ego as well to be built up and then utilizing that energy source. So that was something that was sort of difficult for me to go through because that's sort of how I relied on things my whole life. Like I was always setting goals and striving to do things and built up a pretty good resume in the, in the eyes of the world. But I have so clearly recognized because I've gone through, you know, a lot of social anxiety and just a lot of worry about what people think and then nerves and all of that, that I very clearly now see that those are two sides of the same coin. That thing I relied on for energy is a double-edged sword that was also making me feel terrible when I felt terrible all the time. So it comes back to my perception of myself. And the more I question my perception of myself and the perceptions I have of other people, the less that their perceptions have impact on me because I know I'm not what they think I am. They're not what I think they are. I'm not what I think they think I am. So with that, there's just a lot of, of freedom and a lot less fear. Yeah. I, and to, I agree with you, Andrew, and to touch on what you said about before about just uh, recognizing that you are not what you think you are. It's also when, if someone's judging you, just recognizing and having empathy for them in a sense that look at it from their perception and how they were raised and what they went through and what they seen and what they think, what they think is right. You know, cause we all have, as we all grew up and we were more involved in this ego, we all had something we thought was right. You know, it was the right thing to do. And someone million miles away might think like, Oh, Whoa, whoa what are you doing? You know, that, that's kind of weird, you know, like stay back, you know? And, just recognizing that perception at the end of the day, you kind of in this recognition of unity, you gain empathy towards yourself. And as you gain empathy towards yourself, you gain empathy towards different versions of yourself, <laughs> you know? So yeah, that's what I mean. I loved everything about the question, Karen. I just wanted to weigh, on, weigh in on this quickly because of course, I've been at this for 20 years. So once upon a time, although it's a dim recollection by now, I was in the same boat that, that they're in, <laughs> in terms of trying to, to establish um, what the path is in terms of, you know, am I trying to feel safe? What exactly is, is the point of all this? And of course, the more you question your idea of yourself, the more you have to question your idea of everything. And so any sense of, of certainty just goes out the window. Um, and that's not a bad thing because with that false certainty also go your limitations also go all of your assumptions. And so that gives you more of an ability to adapt, to, to let your intelligence act from moment to moment, to find your potential and to express that potential. And, and so it took me a very long time to try and find the balance in that. But years later, my wife was asking me this recently, actually, um, do I ever feel a sense of safety? And I would say, no, I never feel safe in any way, in any way shape or form. But then again, I never really feel in danger either. Um, it's, it's more of a sense of, capability rather than certainty. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know that it's going to be me that it happens to or with or through, however you'd like to put that. It's gonna be my experience regardless. And so I have everything I need to deal with it. That I know. I don't know what it's gonna be. I don't know what the variation is gonna be. And that's ultimately what the journey of life is, right? Is, is going through all of that and trying to resist that urge to just you know, grab that, that blanket and feel better regardless of the fact that you're not making any movement forward. Um, this was something that 
in, in Wing Chun when I was learning Kung Fu was taught to me very early on. It's like, if you want to be indestructible, learn invisibility. <laughs> and that was the lesson. It's like, you're going to be in danger. That is the nature of the beast. The more you accept that, the more ability you have to influence the situation. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I have, you know, one of the things that Tyson, you, you kind of touched on it um, as far as race goes is that, you know, part of this journey. Um, so, so for example, being a woman, there are, you know, there's society telling you that there are things that you need to do to feel safe and places that you shouldn't go and particular vulnerabilities that you will experience as a woman. And, and then around that, there's a sense of bonding, right? You know, you, there's another identity that you can really cling to as, and, and I think for a lot of people coming out of deconstruction or coming out of other faiths in this, in between time, they can be very drawn to like the divine feminine, right. And going into things like that, that really, I mean, just go even deeper into identifying, you know, with a particular sex or with a particular race, like, you know, or, or cultural or ethnicity identity. And part of this journey that is hard is like shedding those because you're not just shedding it for yourself, but you're also breaking these bonds with the people that are also identifying that way. And with the safety thing, like that's been one of the, one of the things that I have gotten so much, like just, it's been a radical shift in my life um, that now I am a little bit more in that place that you're talking about where I don't think about it as much anymore. And I'm not constantly analyzing every situation to say, am I in danger? But I do notice when it pops up, I am very aware (laughs) of when it pops up and trying to identify, is that a, is that just a pattern of thinking? Like, is that a habit of me feeling unsafe here? Or is there some sort of legitimate physical issue that I need to do? Um, But yeah, I, I think that the, that part of this and having to shed not only your personal things, but also all the stuff that society is telling you about what it is to be safe or not safe and why you should feel safe or not safe. That has definitely been something that I have been trying to, to work through. And even just speaking for, I don't know, like, I don't look at you guys and think of color or think of, you know, race or gender or anything, but at the same time on the, like on the outside, that's what the world sees. Right. And so being in this space, knowing that you physically in this mind body have particular vulnerabilities, but then also being more tuned into your, as like to who you really truly are, your essential self and not identifying that. I feel like that's a, I'm in a place now where I'm massaging what that looks like to live out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's about, that's, that's kind of it though, right? It's, it's, it's about going back and forth and finding your balance. And there is a balance between, identifying and not identifying. And as long as you're not taking that identity to be truth, then perfectly fine. And I got caught up with that a few months ago. I I went from my entire life being super, super rigid and very goal-oriented, always having a to-do list, always having something that I wanted or was striving for or didn't want or was like 
running away from to when I re- started to recognize this, I was like, well, I, I don't know. I don't need to do anything. So I stopped setting an alarm in the morning. My workday didn't start till 10. So I always woke up around eight, but I was used to waking up at like five, five thirty, And I was like, I'm going to go to bed when I get tired. I'm going to wake up when I wake up and I'm not going to set any to-do lists, not going to do any of that. I was in that state for like, I don't know, maybe close to two months. And I started to recognize that there were consequences of that as well. And while it's important to, but I think it was important for me to see that I didn't need to rely on the accomplishments for a sense of value. So there, there was a part of me that had to swing the pendulum to the lack of structure, like as Alan Watts puts it, like the wiggle side of things, as opposed to the spiky side of things that I had existed within for the first, you know, 25 years, 26 years of my life. And you know, as you see consequences, when you go too far to one side, starts to swing back the other way and swing back, 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 back. And then eventually you find your balance and you're able to take pieces from both sides of it to utilize. I saw that, you know, holy shit, I'm not getting like anything done throughout the day. I'm doing my work stuff, but like, I have a lot of content stuff that I really enjoy doing that I'm just getting through my day. And it's like, oh shit, well now I'm tired. Now I guess I'm just going to go to bed. And it was like all this stuff that I wasn't getting done. It didn't, it wasn't that I needed to get it done, but it was that I wanted to get it done, but I just wasn't giving myself the time to do it. Cause I had no fucking structure to anything that I was doing. And so it was just the recognition that there isn't a need to do any of it, but if you want to do it, you're going to have to implement some structure. It doesn't have to be super rigid, but you're going to have to, you know, do something, maybe write down a couple to do. So you at least remember what you want to do throughout the day. So I think it's, that's what it's all about. That's what this experience is all about. And for myself, I'm, I used to, I'm getting better at it, but used to judge myself a lot for, you know, things that I did or didn't do, did or didn't accomplish whatever, whether even if it was just like had a to-do list of five things and I didn't do two of them, it was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? And it would be very judgmental. So just about going back and forth, finding your balance and not judging yourself too much along the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And back and forth is typically the way it goes. And even in terms of the importance of, of recognizing empathy for other people and setting boundaries for yourself, right? Because there is this back and forth that happens there. It's like, oh, I care about everybody. I'm going to go out and I'm going to help. And oh my God, I'm being abused. I need to set some boundaries, right? And then you go back through setting boundaries that are too rigid to protect yourself. And you start disconnecting from people again. You go, oh, okay, maybe I need to let those boundaries down a bit, empathize again. And so you keep going back and forth, back and forth between the observer and the observed until you finally find that balance where you realize there's no disconnect at all. And that everything that you do is the whole in motion. Right. And that all you have to do is basically just let that happen. And that is so very difficult to communicate in general. And I want to refer back to our discord conversation that was happening earlier today, because somebody had asked a great question. They were, they had pointed out that even the urge to help people, even the urge to get out there with this message is egotistical, right? Even pointing out like, Oh, that could hurt you could be an egotistical action unless it was just your action unless it was just what came in the moment with you facing something. So if you interact with something and, and your intelligence goes, oh, hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. I see all kinds of stuff here and you're just discussing it. That doesn't necessarily mean you're trying to help any, anybody so much as just you are the process of processing that experience. And you're communicating that, you're expressing that. You are in the, in the entire act of you expressing that is the whole processing that experience. So it's not helping. 
there's no ego involved whatsoever so much as just that you are the experience that you're having. Right. And so it changes things. And I, I just wanted to mention that quickly, that there is no way to understand this until you're just there. And when you're there, there's nothing to understand. Right. And that, that can be tricky to wrap your head around. Yeah. And you sort of question everything. So a lot of people tend to uh, ask like, Oh, you know, how do you know it's right? You know, like, how do you know what you're saying or what you're doing is the right thing to do? I think Andrew, you, you said this before also, it's more of a fact that you're, you don't know, you're literally <laughs> questioning everything you thought was right, you know, to a point where there's no identification at all. And you're, you're just like, oh, I don't know, I'm right. I just on, I'm just on the journey right now, just recognizing myself that, you know, that's all it is, just recognizing more of yourself that you, that was always there in the moment, but you just didn't know it was. My words are my father's, right? That's very much the point that was trying to come across in, in the Bible. And Karen, I know that your background is in Christianity. We've talked about uh, Yeshua and Jesus so often on this show, but in terms of him being exactly what we are, recognizing the same relationship between the observer and the observed and recognizing that there was no division outside of what was perceived that was the crux of his message. And I'm just wondering in your own uh, exploration and deconstruction of Christianity, um, how has your relationship with Jesus or Yeshua or that character as a whole changed in terms of, of how you rely or how you refer to it in terms of your own growth or, or uh, how you can compare your own path to that that may have been experienced by this character? For sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, I became a Christian. I mean, I was kind of raised in a Christian household and then I accepted Jesus as my Lord and savior when I was 11 was like super hardcore in the evangelical Southern Baptist tradition. So very steeped in Jesus. And I had this picture just a couple of weeks ago of how, you know, I mean, if you can imagine like a tween girl in her bedroom, like loving a poster of some, I don't know, like, you know, boy band rock star, like movie, you know, movie hunky little like guy or whatever. And just like expressing their love and knowing everything about him and everything. And then one day they knock on your door and you turn around. It's like, oh, like you're faced with the reality of what you thought you knew and what you thought you understood. That was, of course, all filtered through you know, like the Bible, I mean, everything I knew about Jesus had all been filtered through pastors and particular interpretations. And then this journey felt like, oh my God, now I get it. Like, oh, now I see you for what you really are. And there was a, there was a process where after my deconstruction, I went into Christian mysticism and I came across the book of unknowing or the cloud of unknowing, which is by a 14th century anonymous author. It's very hard to read because it's written in old English, but I powered through part of it. And just the idea of unknowing really hit me hard. And I felt like I had unknown God and unknown my religious beliefs. And then I went down a path of unknowing Jesus, just completely letting go of everything to a point where I felt like I don't need it anymore. Like, see you, you know, whatever. And so I didn't think about him for a long time. I didn't even, it, it just didn't even 
matter anymore what he what he was or wasn't. But then as I kept going through this journey, so many things started cropping up. It's like this this Buddha, you know, Zen story sounds really familiar, like a parable of Jesus, you know? And all of these like hypothetical questions that Jesus would ask, I was like, that sounds a lot like a like a Zen koan, you know, and all this, you know, just all these different things kept popping up. And because I'd been so steeped in the Jesus story, it would trigger these different ideas. And then whenever I, I, I had this epiphany for myself about whenever Jesus says, you know, I am the way, the truth and the life, like I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. And I was like, he's not fucking saying anything. Like he's, he's basically saying like, I am things that you can't even comprehend. And it kind of clicked this thing for me of like, oh my gosh, he's like, he's saying that you can't define me. You can't define me. And I was like, I was sitting with that for a little bit. And then the real light bulb moment came when I was reading, I am that by Nisargadatta Maharaj. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but about, I don't know, 30 pages into the book. I realized that Nisargadatta was not speaking as like a mind body person, but was actually speaking as though he was embodying consciousness. And at that moment, it, everything just fell into place. And I was like, that's what Jesus was doing. Every time Jesus said, I, he wasn't saying I, the mind, body, physical person that you see, but I like the true essence of everything and the light of the world. And after that, it just opened up this huge door where I was now, I mean, I don't, Jesus doesn't really feel significant to me in any way anymore, but if I had to describe it, it would be more like a friend like, I see you. I see you. I am you. I am the same thing you are. And I get it now. You know, he was always asking the disciples, don't you understand? Don't you see? Like, I see, I get it. I get it. Right. I got it. Let's just sit down around the fire and, and chill out and have a good chat, which is why I enjoy the gospel of Thomas. But it's so funny how you can't really connect to Jesus until you demystify Jesus. Yes. We still use get rid of all of our assumptions of Jesus as the son of God and this special character who had special abilities. Until you get rid of all of that, you can't find that divine path, the narrow path that he was talking about, right? Because the wide path that everybody journeys down is the ego. It's the idea of, of awareness rather than awareness itself. So that's that's an incredible journey. I know, Tyson, going through Christianity yourself, and I know Andrew and I have talked about this quite a bit. How have you has how has your perspective of the character of Jesus changed? And and do you still find yourself looking at that character for insights from time to time? Yeah, and funny enough, it was actually uh, like similar to Karen's. I when I deeply into Christian, I had this idea that you know he was the Son of God and he was above us in a way. You know, just because you know the way the church has always told he was, and when I kind of got out of Christianity, I was sort of looking at him that he was created by someone. I was like, oh, okay, this guy, he was just created by someone and uh, oh, just turning water to wine, walking on water. I'm like, oh, this is just another Bible myth that, <laughs> that everyone is spreading. And then when I started 
looking into a lot of quotes, especially Buddha, his quotes, and going into spirituality, you will see a lot of Buddha quotes everywhere. And I read his quotes. I'm like, oh, wow, that, that, that makes sense. Even though I wasn't really recognizing his quote of unity, I was like, okay, I, I get the similarities between that and, and spirituality. And then I, when I kind of got out of that spirituality phase, if you call it, um, and this recognition of consciousness and, and unity, Jesus' quotes started just appearing out of nowhere. And I would read it and I'm just like, huh, wait a minute. You know, and I was just, and I was like, oh, maybe, I don't know. So I looked more quotes up and it's just the idea that I was like, wow. He was saying this the entire time, the entire time. And I kind of felt like sad in a way because I was like, he had no one to communicate this to. Like, like we're talking about it right now. Jesus would have probably loved to be in this uh, Zoom chat right now talking to us. And when I was look, looking at it like that, I was just like, wow. And then I really got back into the turning water to wine and walking on water. And I realized that I feel that he was just, wasn't identified with just physical in a way that he shut it off so many things and he saw everything as himself. So literally everything. So when he walked on water, I kind of think that like, oh, wait, you know, I could see that. I could see that. And it was funny when we had that one-on-one uh, session, Ray, uh, when he pulled one of his disciples up at the, <laughs> and he took a step, his disciples took a step and then he fell back in because he thought he thought of it. And then Jesus said, oh, what little faith you have. Like, <laughs> that is so amazing to see and just look back. And so many insights, not just Christianity itself, you growing up and insights that you got through childhood and school, you'll look at it and you're like, wow, there's hidden gems in everything. And I, I've noticed that you can get an insight literally through everything. Like when I was at work, I was cleaning a table and um, I, I work in an arena at uh, UBS arena and I work in a spotlight club. So if you guys want to come, come by. So I was cleaning a table and um, I noticed that everyone, they just left oh, a big mess on the table. And um, I told them, I was going to tell my supervisor and there was a chicken wing on the floor and I'm just like, oh no, I got to clean this all up, you know? And I wanted to complain. And then just looking at, literally just looking at the chicken on the floor, I was like, look, I can either complain about it or I can just pick it up and throw it in the garbage and just not say a word. Just pick it up and throw it in the garbage. I don't have to complain about it. And through that, I got an insight about that. And I was just like, wow. Like, it's amazing. It, it really is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how when you get your sense of self out of the way and your idea of yourself, how many insights are at your disposal, because your idea of yourself is just, it's like a veil that clouds every opportunity to see things clearly. And I feel the same way, Tyson, like when I'm doing work, like I have a nine to five in digital advertising and I'll be going through something. It's super tedious. Like 
I think it's some bullshit that we shouldn't have to do. And it's, there's not really a great point to it. It's just like busy work. And I'm like telling myself this. And then I catch myself and I'm like, bro, you realize that you're just making this so much harder for yourself. Like you're going to do it one way or the other. You might as well just accept it and like dive into it and not necessarily that you have to enjoy it, but you know, it, it's, it's something that you're doing right now. And in that recognition, there's so much more freedom with it. And another, another insight I had, I actually made a video about it this morning. I haven't posted it yet, but it was about, uh, I was, so when I work out, I I've had like some knee surgeries. And so I always prioritize knee health. And so one thing that I do, I do these types of workouts. And one of the warmups is walking backwards on a treadmill. So like your back is against it and you're pushing against it. It's like a closed chain leg extension. It's, it's good for knee health. I'll just leave it at that. And so this, I'm at my parents' apartment right now down in Florida and they have a gym in their apartment. It's a lot of older people like I'm in Florida and, and this older guy was like, Hey man, you're going the wrong way. And in that, I, I immediately, part of me wanted to be like, fuck off, bro. But then I was just like, you know what? It's actually pretty good for knee health. And I, I wasn't going to get into it to him too much. But in that moment, it was like, I'm going the wrong way. That's an interesting insight. Is there a right or wrong way to use a treadmill? Or is there just the way that most people use the treadmill? And it's interesting that we equate the thing that most people do to being the right thing, but that's all he was doing. I don't fault him for doing that. But for me, in my experience, going backwards is actually more so the right way, given what I want to accomplish in the moment than going forwards. So it's just, it was just, it brought me as I'm like walking here, I'm like right and wrong. There is no right and wrong. So fascinating. He was equating the thing that most people do to being the right thing to do. And that's pretty much what we've done in society, like as above, so below in society, the thing that most people do, the path that most people choose, we think of to be the right thing, but we're all so fucking different and unique. And so there is no right way just because most people you know, cling to an illusion just because most people build up an identity. It's like most people are also super fucking miserable. So do I really want to be like most people? I don't know. <laughs> I love the fact that you were going nowhere incorrectly. <laughs> As if that's not exactly what life is, right? <laughs> Where are we going? We're already here now, right? So that, that's, that's a fantastic story. Karen, I do have one more question for you because we're talking about uh, the relationship that we have with reality. We're talking about getting out of the way in, in terms of you know, having ideas of how things should go that causing consequence for us and then recognizing, oh, okay, so if I don't commit to that so much, I'll adapt, I'll change and things will go in directions that I don't necessarily understand right now. My biggest lesson in that has been parenting because mm -hmm. there are numerous times in my relationship with my daughter where it's like, no, no, I don't want you to do that. And of course she doesn't see my reasoning. She hasn't been alive for 40 some odd years. And she wants to do something else. And we'll get into this, this argument. It's like, well, no, do that. I don't want to do that. And then it's like, ah, finally, I'll just surrender. There's this moment where it's just like, I'm doing nothing but making a conflict between you and I. This isn't doing anything. And there's almost like this deflating that happens where it's just like, ah, I don't want to do this. Do you want to do this? And the conversation changes entirely. And all of a sudden we're communicating, we're growing, we're changing, we're adapting. I find that parenting has been such a lesson in this, but that it applies in every relationship I have as well. I'm just wondering what has been your experience with that? For sure. Oh my gosh. And homeschooling 
has been, I, I just had this thought today that I feel like I had to homeschool, like the universe had to, had to have me homeschool or whatever in order to like bring me to this point in awakening because it's played such a huge factor. But for sure, I mean, I will be, you know, I'll look at the kids playing nicely, building Legos, doing something creative. And I'm like, but I have this math thing that I, that I need them to do because that they gotta, they gotta learn math. They have to do school. And, and I will have an internal battle with myself of where is this importance coming from? Like, like what exactly is the reason behind this is doing this, you know, three pages of math more important than what they're doing now. Who says it is? Like, you know, what's acting there and then, yeah, having the arguments with them and going back and forth. And I find myself now at least going more into the observer position and watching, you know, this person called Karen, like going back and forth with her kid and the observer is just like, what the fuck does this matter? Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Right. And at some point, you know, you're even fighting the surrendering. You're like, God, I can't give this up if I if I give in now, they're going to manipulate me even more in the future. Are we ever going to get anything done? You know, I'm thinking my husband's going to come home and say, you know, what did you do for school? And the kids are going to be like, nothing. Mom said we didn't have to do math. And so I just realized that there's all of these voices that are informing why I'm telling them they have to do this. And of course, they're just speaking from their one much more pure perspective of like, mom, that's dumb. I don't want to do that. Why would you make me do that? And I'm having a hard time identifying with all the voices. Like, why am I making me do this? I don't know. And then exactly right. You're like, at some point you're just like, you're fine. Okay. We're just going to not do it. And then like you say, like I can have incredible conversations with my kids. And I think, God, the things that you guys are learning and understanding is so much more valuable than these other things that I'm trying to teach you. And, and one of the other things too, that, that my husband, I've been talking about a lot is kind of like what you were saying earlier, you know, the pandemic really caused everybody to question what is the right way? Like, you know, we've all just kind of been floating along doing this kind of normal life. And now everybody's at home and jobs are being lost and you're having to spend more time with your kids who maybe you decide you don't really like, I mean, you know, or whatever. And are we actually living life the way that we want to be living it, you know, really calling into question that normalcy. And I find with my kids that I try not to predict too much in the future, like go there too much. But I do think, you know, in this moment, is what I'm doing, setting up an example for my kids that you have to do life this way, or that, that there is a right way to do life. And I hope that, you know, one of, one of my hopes, I guess, for homeschooling, if you would call it a hope is that we have stepped out of the normal way of doing things. Right. And I want my kids to feel the freedom that I feel of you, you don't have to buy into what everyone else is saying. You don't have to buy into what most people are doing. Right. But then there's also that sense of responsibility of like, well, how do we set them up so that like they can, like they at least know how to read and like could support themselves later in life or be in a position where they could do those things that they want to do. And I find that that that's one of those things, like with the responsibilities of being a parent that, you know, 
I'm still sort of navigating in this place. And probably the most important lesson that I've learned over this whole thing is just the power of now, right? It's a quote, to quote, totally just staying with, I mean, you can get so caught up in all of these different, you know, words, Advaita, Neo-Vaita, consciousness and awareness and all this other stuff. But really what it comes down to is like this present moment is all that we have and all that is contained anywhere in us, in this experience. And so I try to dial it all back in to like, okay, what is important now? What is, what are we doing? But yeah, parenting for sure, man, there's just no guarantees. A lot, like, a and lot we're of- just part of the process, right? I mean, we were raised by our parents who were in a, a very restrictive mentality. Well, I mean, most people are raised by their parents. I was raised by other people, but they were all from another uh, old world mentality. And of course, then our life is working through that stuff to diminish it. And then we have kids and they get the slightly lessened version of all of our programming, right? And then they grow up and they have the capacity to even diminish that even more. And so what we're seeing is really, we, we talk about, unity awakening we talk about the world changing but that is the process that we are a part of that is actually what we are uh, embodying or or demonstrating day to day as we just question ourselves and allow those those relationships to be organic rather than to be conceptual this is what a strong relationship is as opposed to like as my daughter for example we've talked often about how while she calls me dad i'm not right that's just a label. It's just an idea. And, and with that idea goes a lot of different societal expectations of the acts this way, does these things and so on and so forth. But none of that's a guarantee. Growing up thinking that your parents are going to abide by this Disney movie narrative causes nothing but conflict. Whereas recognizing that people are people regardless of their age, regardless of the relationship with you, regardless of anything else, gives you that ability to empathize with them. And that's when my daughter and I talk to each other on the most authentic level is when it's just two human beings, one of which has been here slightly longer. That's it. So I find that to be a, a, a strong lesson in parenting, but in friendships and relationships as well. I mean, even here on the podcast, nobody here is teaching anything, right? So it's it always comes back now to questioning the ideas of ourself that we feel validate us and validate our actions and validate our strategies and everything else. And as soon as we do that, we evolve, which is amazing. Uh, We are coming up to the hour and a half mark here. So we are going to wrap up. I just wanted to say thank you to both of you for joining us for this roundtable. Tyson, we love chatting with you all the time. I look forward to the next group chat that you can join us for, uh, as well as anybody who's listening to this who would like to join us on one of the Wednesdays that we do hold regular group chats. Definitely do join us on Patreon. It's $5 a month and you can chat with us directly. You can also chat with Tyson. Uh, If you'd like to message him directly, join us on Discord because you will find him on there as well. Um, And then of course, Karen, we really appreciate you being here and bringing all of your knowledge about Christianity and mysticism and your own personal path and all the things that you've learned along the way. We appreciate you bringing it to the table and sharing it with us. Again, I just want to encourage everybody who has been enjoying this conversation to check out Karen's podcast. Uh, We'll include all of the links in the description to this video. And for my note, I just want to say thank you again. I learned a lot from this conversation, including about how much we are progressing, how inspiring it is to see so many people from so many different walks of life having a very similar path. Not the same, because we can't walk the path for each other, but similar enough that we can compare notes. So I really enjoyed this. Thank you, guys. It was great to be here and great to meet you, Tyson. Yeah, that was wonderful to meet you, too.
Yeah, and just to just to echo Ray, this was this is our fourth round table now. And this was just an epitome of I feel like the vision Ray and I had for season two, just having more guests, more conversations, incorporating the round tables, getting more perspectives, getting different perspectives of similar insights from different backgrounds, different experiences, you know, a mother's perspective with three young boys another younger man living in New York going through, you know, high school after high post high school years. And it's just been really cool that people from so many different walks of life and perspectives can come together and have these conversations. And I thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think people really enjoy it. So yeah, again, Karen and Tyson, thank you so much for joining us today. And on that note, we will wrap up the episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, do tune in next month for roundtable number five. And of course, uh, episode 14 will be coming out next week. So we'll see you there. All right. Bye, everyone.